Cincinnati. Welcome to episode 206 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. And like a fart on a very busy tube train, we are back. Not necessarily wanted, but we're definitely back. And uh, if I'm the smell, then the noise is Nathan Palmer. Nathan, hello. How are we on episode 206? You've been doing a couple without me, Sal. I thought we were about 203, 204. You've not been teaming up with someone else in my absence. Well, I mean, you know, what can I say? Um, I, I've long, I've long wanted to try out new uh, co-hosts, and uh, maybe no, of course we've done two hundred and six. Um, the un- underground episodes with some like the... collab artists. <laughs> I know, right? Um, uh, but we are back, and there's a strange buzzing with my microphone lead. So apologies if you can hear that. Um, I'm not quite sure what to do about that, actually. That's weird. Um, But yes, we are back for a new mini-run before it all happens. And of course, uh, uh, next week, uh, the league season begins. Uh, Not that uh, it makes any difference, because there's been lots of movement and people getting cut and Derek Carr signing for the Saints, or at least on the cusp of signing for the Saints. Uh, Aaron Rodgers emerging for his, from his uh, darkness therapy hut uh, and trying to decide where he's going to play next year. Lots of Bengals stuff to go through. Free agency starts next week. And, of course, this week it is International Women's Day. And as we like to, to do and to mark that uh, uh, special uh, um day in the calendar because as I said we, we, we do like to be as a group be as inclusive uh, as possible we always like to kind of appeal to our uh, female members of the group and uh, as I say if uh, if you do have a, a, a female friend who's interested in the sport or a daughter uh, or just happen to be a female who has uh, just tuned in by accident and wondering what the hell this is um then this is for you we're trying to uh we want to uh, open things up we want more female fans in the uk to kind of follow along because uh, it's been a lot of fun the last couple of years and who's to say that it's not going to continue uh and as i say uh, every international women's day uh, episode we do like to have a prominent female guest and this uh, this year uh we welcome back to the podcast uh, Bengals Director of Communication, Emily Parker, and uh, she's got some terrific insight into her career path, actually, and, and, and how, as a young woman, you might uh, go about getting a career in, in uh, PR and comms, uh, and obviously, specifically in Emily's case, sports PR, 
and uh, she's also got some great stuff to to say about the uh, the amazing gender balance uh, within the Bengals front office and uh, how uh, f- a number of females um, hold prominent positions in the organisation. Uh, she talks a bit about Joe Borrow. So all that is coming up. And uh, as I say, if you are a female fan, new to the Bengals, new to us, then you're very, very welcome. And uh, as I say, please, if you even if you're not, uh, do spread the word amongst your female fans. Get them on board. It's all good fun. Um, but Nathan, it's uh, it's been all go, hasn't it? I mean, the combine has just happened. We're edging, well, not edging, we're hurtling into free agency, the draft. And uh, let me just say, as ever, um, uh, we will have the draft covered from all angles uh, with our usual array of guests that we like to bring out. Uh, Not confirmed yet, so I I shan't say anything. But, uh, yeah, certainly in the lead-up to the draft, we'll be looking at various different scenarios some of the players that the Bengals might be looking at. We're not, not going to talk too much about the draft in this episode because uh, all that's to come. But what we are going to talk about is the new league year and what the Bengals might do. Uh, but Nathan, it's all been a bit of a whirlwind the past couple of weeks, hasn't it? It has, and it feels like a long time ago now since the season, doesn't it? I know it's only been a couple of weeks since it's all the dust has settled and the trophy was lifted, but... Um... As is the NFL, things come around very quickly. I always love a bit of free agency. I really enjoy it. It's just a bit of an insane sort of, it's like a Christmas almost of like two days that are just bonkers and then it sort of calms down and you, in a week's time you're sort of back to normal again. But I'm really excited. It's a time the Bengals have got some money to play with. They know that the window's open. There's some good players out there. There's some good players of their own that I think they're going to be looking to retain. So... Yeah, I, I, I feel like I almost say this every year, but it does almost feel like one of the biggest off-seasons in Bengals history. <laughs> we do say that every single year. <laughs> but uh, we've never been in a position, have we, before, where we've been so good in back-to-back years, from a Super Bowl berth to another AFC title game, where we came very, very close to repeating that and going back to the Super Bowl. There's some good players out of contract. You know, you talk about Jesse Bates, Von Bell, you know, people like that, but at the end of the day it's not insane is it we've got the cap room you've got a lot of your core players locked down for next season there's some good players out there that you you know the Bengals are going to be sniffing around they've been fairly bullish in their comms in terms of what they're going to do I think people sort of after the successes they've had in free agency in the last couple of years feel fairly upbeat and positive on free agency rather than how it used to be sort of a you know, for the sort of previous 15 years before that, where you expected a lot and got a little. But I'm I'm excited because it, it, it really can set the Bengals up. If they make a couple of good moves, a couple of, you know, no, maybe nothing mental, but just a couple of key pieces that they've done in the past, just shore up a bit of that depth, tidy it up a bit, you know, get the Hoover out a bit, son, just get a bit of the crumbs <laughs> in the corner, you know. I think that's all, it might be all it needs and a bit of luck next year to just... Just tip us over. Yeah, we need some tipping over, don't we? And um, what did you take from the Combine? Because I've got a thought on the Combine. And what I mean, not necessarily about men running around in Lycra. I'm talking about some of the interviews that um, Duke waged. uh, Certainly Duke. um, I always find him an interesting character. Um, 
And I also listened to Zach Taylor and Frank Pollack and Lou and Brian uh, Callahan uh, and Darren Simmons and all those sort of guys. Um, the biggest takeaway from me, for me, I think, uh, was was when Duke spoke actually, and in this instance, it was really good because he shut down any of those ridiculous rumours that T Higgins was about to be traded, which seems to have gone round social media a few times. You know, you know, it's kind of idle speculation, and then it builds up into something ridiculous. And he shut it down, right? He said go and get someone else to any teams that were thinking about trading for T Higgins. But that's all that's all great. We we've got T for at least another year. That's tremendous, right? What was interesting to me is that he spoke about the whole well, the whole approach to trading uh, as the Bengals. And this was where I was sort of less impressed. Now they have traded for 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 guys in the past but it's not been sort of blockbuster trades right and it kind of revealed or just confirmed that duke is philosophically against trading and he admitted he doesn't like making trades he hates it he's got this idea that if you make a trade it makes the other team better even though you're getting something else in return that's the way trades work right um, so he just seemed philosophically against the idea of trading. We've, we've heard people talk about that before, the Bengals' approach to trades. Um, now, I only bring this up because, as you mentioned, it's a big off-season. Off we've never really been in this position before. Uh, we're approaching the moment where Joe Burrow gets a monster contract. It won't take effect uh, for a year or so, you know, um, that's fine. Uh, but then we're also trying to keep T Higgins, trying to keep Jamar Chase in the next couple of years as well. Yeah. Um, but shutting down the idea of trades, I'm I'm a bit I'm about that really. I mean, I think Duke is a terrific GM. Obviously, he's not GM in title, but he is in every other uh, way, shape, or form. But yeah, it's just this antipathy towards trades that I don't get. Um, Sympathy. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why aren't you open to trades? Why, why not? The, the knock on the Bengals is that they keep players for too long. They overvalue their players. They keep, they keep players for too long. Uh, they wait and wait and wait. And if someone is genuinely look at Jesse Bates, right? There could have been a scenario where you traded him away to get something in return. Uh, for him, do you know what I mean? I think that's that would have been a valid argument, and lots of teams across the league don't think twice about making trades for good or for bad. You know, it's a bit of a boom or bust sort of strategy, I think. But they're open to trades, and I'm not quite sure why Duke doesn't seem to be. Now, again, I'll mitigate it with the fact that he has made trades in the past. You know, people like. And they've been successful. B.J. Hill, for instance, very recently. Reggie Nelson, another one. Um, back about 10 years, though, isn't it? But, and also, they, they weren't what you'd call blockbuster trades. They were kind of for a, a, a lower-round pick or, in, in B.J. Hill's case, uh, you know, dealing um, Billy Price to the Giants in return for B.J. Hill. Uh, and we certainly won that trade. So, he's he, listen, Duke is a shrewd operator. We know that. 
and he has built championship winning rosters I just wish that he'd be a bit more flexible and open to trading um, not that I'm I'm suggesting that they should yeah, change so got up your sleeve some from a trade perspective because I don't think anyone seriously believes nor would want T Higgins to be on the training wire I know you talked about Jesse Bates I guess the feeling in some ways from the Bengals front office with someone like Jesse Bates is he's going to go but you would have wanted him for the back end of last season you yeah, know, there was, yeah for sure he could have been the difference between the Bengals you know getting to the title game or not and at the end of the day, they'll look at that and be with the whole compensation formula. The Bengals will probably wind up with a third or fourth round pick for him um, signing with another team based on his production. So, you know, I'm not sure there would have been a queue of clubs offering you much better than the third rounder for Jesse Bates. No, you, you're true. But my point is, I guess, when so for instance, if T, T Higgins is approaching the end of his contract, right? Yeah. And it's pretty obvious that David Mulagueta, uh, you know, same agent as Jesse Bates, is asking for heaven and earth, and that's something with Burrow and Chase and the extensions yeah, yeah. coming up. Why not look at... Tra- I think the key thing here, when I look at what's been happening around the league in the past few days, right, you know, um, Derek Henry's been talked about as a trade uh, trade option for, for some teams. Yeah. Uh, you look at Frank Clark being released from the Chiefs you look at Orlando Brown the Chiefs aren't aren't, aren't gonna you know they, they figured that they can't afford him basically after mm. after they franchise tagged him so teams are ruthless and I don't think in the past now things might change and especially with this window that's wide open at the moment uh, we're not ruthless enough we don't explore every I know that Duke said in, in his interviews that they're going to explore everything, everything's on the table. But, you know, as I say, if T Higgins is coming up, I'm just using T as an example, right? If we can't if we can't afford him, then why shouldn't we trade him? He's a great player. He's one of my favourite players. I love T Higgins as a guy as well. I think he's brilliant in every way, which way. But you have to, my point is you have to be ruthless, especially when you've got a quarterback on a massive contract. You yeah, do yeah. have to clear the decks almost like the Chiefs have been doing almost kind of every year, every other year. They got rid of Tyreek Hill. Now they're getting rid of Frank Clark, who's a good player. Um, they've got a very ruthless streak in them to, as they always refresh and replenish their roster. And they're, they're aware that they can't afford everyone. And I wonder what our strategy is going forward. It's a very interesting take. Um, I guess in some way you're being aggressive by not trading him, though, because you just want him on the team next year. You know, he's one of your key pieces on offense who who really steps up in his absence. You probably have to go and get someone in free agency because I don't, I don't think um, just having Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and then who's who's your number three guy? You know, then it gets a bit thin behind that. Maybe Trenton Irwin, but as as much as I like Trenton Irwin as a player, I'm not sure he's a number three uh, wide receiver on a championship winning team. So I, I'm I'm all for keeping um, keeping T Higgins. I think he's a top player. Is there a way that they can re-sign him? I mean, it, it does feel. Like it would be a bit of a stretch, you know. You're, you're talking about Geno Smith getting off, you know, north about fifty million yesterday, mm. and you know that Joe Burrow's contract is just going to be an absolute blockbuster. And I don't even think Joe Burrow is necessarily someone who's going to be, you know, sat there squeezing a flannel out for more money. But he he deserves to get paid. He's a top three quarterback in the league. Top and two. 
yeah yeah i mean you, you you know you can certainly argue that so i don't know it it, it is going to be difficult for the bengals and they're going to have to try and be creative and they're going to have to look at this whole thing in the past about the guaranteed money and all the rest of that and spending up to the cap and structuring deals a certain way restructuring deals to try and make things things work but you got to go for me you've got to go into next season with t higgins there you've got to make a run at it um stat stock up as much talent as you can and just go for it and you know there'll come a point where you you sat there in four or five years time almost a bit like green bay with aaron Rodgers. you know you look how good aaron Rodgers is fantastic player but they've really struggled to keep quality pieces around him. you've had some good players around him but they've had to they've had to move on and a lot of the time you look at their roster and you think oh yeah there's a couple of not bad players on there but green bay have never been able to get back um, to the Super Bowl since they've given him that gigantic contract. So as good as the Bengals will always probably be with Joe Burrow, the, you are going to have to um, be quite creative in the future. But now when he's, you know, still on that rookie contract, you're going to have to try and, you know, manage it a certain way. This next year really is the one year where you can afford to be very, very aggressive, stockpile some talent before you're paying him, you know, God knows how many million per year. Okay. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And T Higgins will be here next year. And if there's problems, he'll get franchise tagged, and he'll be here yeah, the next year. Do you know what I mean? Um, but so what? Do, what do, as we go into the new league year next next uh, week, and you know, uh, free agency opens. What does aggressive mean? What does aggressive look like to you? Or what would it look like to you? You've got to re-sign some of your key players, haven't you? That's where it starts. I think Von Bell's the obvious choice to come back. I think Hayden Hurst is an obvious choice to come back. I think in some ways, Samar P. Ryan is an obvious choice as well on the basis that he'd be, you know, he'd command a very affordable deal as a, as a running back. Um, so I think that's where it starts. You're not going to realistically get Jesse Bates back. I mean, it'd be aggressive if you said, look, we're going to franchise tag him. Well, but, you never know but, what the market's going to be like. Because if he, if he does, I mean, we've seen him go out for, yeah. uh, for dinner with a bunch of Atlanta fans. Falcons, which seems to suggest he's in touch. You know, there's obviously the tampering window at the moment, um, and then we hear that the Browns are really interested in Jesse Bates, but they might balk at the the asking price. And I wonder what happens if uh, the market out there is not to his liking. Uh, obviously, he wants a big payday, and in you know, you could argue that he deserves it. He's been terrific for the past five years. Um, and it will be a real shame to see him go if he does. And frankly, let's face it, when he does, I think that's almost uh, uh, nailed on. But there is a chance if that market isn't to what he's expecting or liking, then that puts him back in play, I think. Um, um, but yeah, we'll see. So you, you want you want to what about Mixon then? Because obviously that's a big question. Going forward, I've stated on previous podcasts that I'd be surprised if they cut Mixon, uh, but they were less than um, black and white about it at the combine when they when Zach and Duke spoke about Mixon, they weren't willing to confirm like they were, for instance, say that Jonah Williams is definitely going to be the left tackle next year. They weren't willing to kind of nail down or kind of really shut down any talk about Mixon being cut 
or, or at least offered a pay cut or whatever it might that might look like. Um, what's your take on on the whole Mixon deal? I mean, I, I really do think that he's a great player, Joe Mixon. He's a big character in the locker room, a bit of a leader as well. But it doesn't make sense really financially, does it? And I, I can't believe that Joe Mixon, the amount of you know tread on his tire in terms of how long he's been at the club, he's his stats always been good, but perhaps nothing special. Are we confident that? It's worth paying him as one of the most expensive players on the team in a position that, you know, it really has lost its value over the years. You look to that stat that's been all over the internet recently about starting running backs that have been in the Super Bowl and what they were getting paid and, you know, how teams have structured their roster around that. No one's getting anything particularly exciting. And frankly, no disrespect to any of the running backs, but they weren't, you know, your Adrian Petersons of the times. They were, you know, players that did the job you know sort of got in there pretty productive nothing special you spent the money elsewhere and I do think with Joe Mixon that the players that we've got on this team that we need to try and re-sign what we might need to do in free agency to bolster the offensive line you've got Jermaine Pratt that might go that will need replacing as well you could draft the running back chuck him in there day one he's probably pretty productive you can't do that in other positions very easily you can draft a, a tackle in the first round at the back end of the first round I'm not sure you're that confident that he can cut, that he'd be plugged in and start at the same level that that Bijan Robinson is going to do if you were to draft mm. him. You know, you feel fairly confident. You draft Robinson, pay, re-sign P. Ryan on a cheap deal. Your running back room's probably improved, and you probably saved yourself a bit of money. Whereas offensive line that's so much more difficult you know we look at the Bengals success over the last 10 years drafted offensive linemen I mean it has been pretty awful mm. uh, and then you're looking to say right yep we're also going to chuck this person in and you know try and get him to start or you know it's not going to have the same impact so the more I do think about it so I, 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 I think maybe the money could be saved there's a lot of people with hungry mouths there as is the case on good football teams you know they get a lot of attention they get a lot of exposure in playoff games and um you know and get pinned on the success of the club you've got to try and resign them and if it's going to be a case of you know t higgins or joe mixon or whatever it might be i know it's not as black and white as that and you know in terms of you resign but I just, I really do think that's a case of like be aggressive. You know, I know it's a be a bit of a controversial move. It'd be a bit of a sad move. You know, he's been a big player here, Joe Mixon, for a long time. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I think it's a reasonable chance to move on. It, you don't have to get Robinson in the first round either. There's some, there's some good running backs that you'll find in rounds two, three, four that keep coming up in, um, you know, mock drafts to the Bengals. It's a risk, you know, even if you draft Robinson in the first round and everyone's raving about him and saying he's always the best running back in the draft and stuff, but you don't know when you plug him in that he's going to produce as you want. You know, is he going to block that well as a rookie? You know, there's question marks there. There's also plenty of running backs in rounds two, three, and four that you could look at. Uh, I know it's more of a gamble when you take a player a bit later on like that. Can they block? Can they do everything you need them to? But that's where I think the Bengals could be aggressive. I, I, I think you cut Mixon, you save some money there, you re-sign P. Ryan, you get a running back and you say, look, we're going to be aggressive here in the respect that we're losing a veteran presence in the locker room. We're going with youth, we're saving money. And as a result, what we're going to do with that money is we're going to go out there and sign a fairly productive pass rusher in free agency or an offensive tackle in free agency that can come in straight away and make this team um, better in a, an area of need. And of course, the Bengals, to support your point, did meet with some running backs at the Combine. Um, 
Zach Charbonnet and Jamia Gibbs, uh, sort of uh, certainly back end of round one, round two guys there. Then they're looking at sort of mid to late round guys like Cam Peoples and um, and Tavion Thomas as well. Of course, the meeting at the Combine doesn't really mean anything, but it just maybe shows you where they're looking or what they're looking at in the draft. So, yeah, I agree. A, 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 cutting Mixon would... And also, you've got to look at where the Bengals have drafted running backs in the past. Uh, in the past, you know, it's... You know, we, we're talking Mixon himself. We're talking Bernard. We're talking Jeremy Hill. All second-round guys. So, could that be something to look at? A pattern that they might repeat this year? Um, and then if they draft a running back in the second round, for instance... Are you keeping P Ryan? I I certainly would. I think um, you need a veteran guy in that in that group. If you cut if you do cut Mixon, um, but it's interesting, wouldn't it? They'd be going against type if they cut one of their favourite guys early. You know, they it's very unusual for the Bengals to do that. Again, maybe this is the year. Maybe that Super Bowl window being wide open is the little nudge that they need to operate a bit differently, you know? So, um, I think crucially is there is like, you don't mind paying him like that sort of top money that he'd be getting, but you want him to be going for like 12, 1300 yards rushing 10 plus touchdowns minimum. And to repeat the, the receiving game he had last year, where he had his best year receiving 60 catches, 400 yards. You want him to be like a madly, productive player and he's going into his seventh season you know he didn't have the greatest year last year he averaged under four yards a carry you know seven touchdowns but you know a lot of them were in one game so uh, I know he had injuries and you know I know the year before that was his best year and he's got it in his locker he's a good player but I, I, I just don't think you can guarantee that you know, he, he's at the, you know what it's like with NFL running backs, you know, and he's been very, very productive, Joe Mixer, man. He's, he's ran the 1,300 um, attempts in his career. I mean, he's really been the workhorse of this team for yeah, the last... Yeah, very much so, yeah. Five years or five, six years. He's right? not missed much time. I know, I know in 2020 he missed a bit of time, but for, mo- for the most part, he's been very durable. He's, he's been, you know, no hassle. He's been a good leader, like I said. So you've got to take your hat off to him in that respect. But... I just don't think you can guarantee that he's going to be operating at a top five or even really a top. I don't think you can guarantee he's going to operate at a top 10 level the, the next year if healthy. I think he's a good running back. But again, it's like, you know, if we could, if you're asking me, do we want a fantastic, you know, linebacker, pass rusher, offensive tackle? I think that's more of a person and area of need than it would be the difference between him and a second or third round running back or him you know, and Samar JP Ryan, for example, who really I thought when he played last year, what there wasn't a huge drop off at all. So, you know, if that's any sort of indication, you know. And then what have you got with Travion Williams? I mean, that might be, a, you know, a, a bit of a stretch. Who's to... also a free agent? I'm not quite sure whether he's restricted or not, but he's certainly a free agent of some description this year. Yeah. Um, right. Let's let's get on to something. We're gonna. It's not necessarily a game, but I've tasked Nathan with coming with three bold statements that either pertaining to the draft or free agency what the Bengals are going to do this is the theme uh, aside from the International Women's Day this is the kind of theme with the the league year approaching next week um let's have some bold statements Nathan um we, out there. three each do you want to go first 
All right, yeah, I'll go with a negative one first, just to ruffle a few feathers. Go on. I think the Bengals are going to lose Jesse Bates and Jermaine Pratt, but I also, and this is the the big take, I think they're going to lose Von Bell. Oh, man, do you want to know what my first bold statement was going to be? Yep. Nathan Palmer to take less than three holidays in this calendar year. No, I'm joking. Well, that was going to be a bold statement, but... I think the Bengals will overpay to keep Von Bell. How Ooh, about that? We, we've gone completely against each other then. But no, it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Because I think the leverage yeah. is sort of a little bit with with Von Bell at the moment because Jesse Bates is going to leave. I think that's pretty certain, right? Yeah. We're pretty thin at safety. Yeah. And they need to sign Von Bell. Come yeah. hell or high water. No, uh, I... Not least because he's a good player. And I thought he was tremendous last year. Yeah. Really tremendous. But he's, yeah. you know, he's a captain. He's He works extremely hard. He lifts weights. And he does things that people like a lot. And, um, yeah, um, I think they need to keep him. And I think Von Bell could use that to to his advantage and I think the Bengals cannot afford to lose him so my bold statement is that they will overpay to keep him but you think he's going to test the market and someone will pay him a lot of money I yeah I do I, and I think his agent if you've, you've just, you made perfectly outlined it there son you know Jesse Bates is their safety on the market the Bengals are losing him you've got Dax Hill who I don't think anyone can make a confident like assumption on how he performed last year. He was in and out. as a bit of a risk for him stepping up. You want a captain, a veteran like Von Bell on that team as a good player to pair with him, to help him learn, to bring him up to speed, and to make sure that the drop-off in talent is not too severe. Now, if you're Von Bell's agent, you know the Bengals need to re-sign him. You know, they're losing Jesse Bates. The, the, the safety market out there is not fantastic either. Mm. You know, it's not full of people that you can just plug in that are any better than Von Bell, really. Um, and I think he's going to demand a lot of money, probably far more money um, than really the Bengals would like to pay for him. And in the past, especially, you know, we're talking about all these contracts coming up for the Bengals and how much guaranteed money they can give out and stuff like that. I just think that it might be more than the Bengals want to pay and someone out there that says, well, you know what, he's a good player, we could add him as a solid piece, could come in and make him a bigger deal and he could go. And I think it would just be such a classic Bengals fan base, short-term implodes a bit, what they're doing, they're trying to win this year and they're losing a core part of their team. So I would think they might lose all three of them because the teams out there will be aggressive and I just don't know how happy the Bengals will be to be paying over the odds for someone that they already have on the team. And I think the Bengals will end up... If they do sign him, they'll be probably going to pay more than they want to, basically. That's my... sort of, Yeah, it was, I agree with you. Uh, second bold... Nicely. St- yeah, that's a good one. Good start. Good solid start. Um, okay, your bold statement number two, Nathan. 
I think the Bengals might sign a big name free agent. That doesn't mean an expensive free agent as such, but someone a bit like a Bobby Wagner or someone that's historically they've not always gone after. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just went after a, a name, someone a bit more of a veteran presence to come in. Like I said, it doesn't have to be an expensive deal, but someone that's a bit of a ex-pro bowler, maybe multiple-time pro bowler, someone on the way down, a bit like the Ravens do quite a lot. Mm. You know, they're quite good at just picking people up that are, are on the way down, like a Justin Houston type character just to come in, you know, that, that sort of that sort of mould. I wouldn't be surprised to see them do something like that, just add a bit of veteran presence um, to the locker room with a couple of guys, you know, like a Jesse Bates, like a Jermaine Pratt. And I think on the defensive side of the ball as well, um, just to sort of come in and maybe fill that void of some, you know, some leadership that's going on the way out. Okay, bold statement number two from me. The Bengals will not sign a free agent in the first week and a half of free agency. <laughs> I just, I mean, that's not, you know, we've been used, we've been spoiled really the past couple of three years because the Bengals have been going free agency crazy and it's been so much fun, hasn't it? You know, like, you know, almost like almost when the gun sounded last year to, to start off free agency... We signed Alex Kappa and Ted Caras in the first day, yeah. you know, and, you know, Reader, Hendricks and Bell, you know, all these fantastic guys, Karras, Kappa, uh, Collins last year, that was a right old to-do, wasn't it? People following him around shopping malls and all sorts, and it was really good fun, I think. This year, it's going to be the complete opposite. I think they're going to focus on re-signing their own that means, as you said, Hayden Hurst. Um, that means Von Bell. They'll probably let Pratt test the market, but I would assume there's some interest in bringing him back as well. I just think the emphasis will be on re-signing their own, and that's boring and unsexy, but we happen to have some really good players. So actually that's a pretty solid uh, approach. So you're right. I think, I think it'll be a while. Uh, it might not be true i don't know who knows who can predict really because they've all got plans and they're plotting away inside paycor i just think the emphasis will be on re-signing their own this year interesting bold statement number three nathan palmer go bengals draft by jan robinson i don't know if that's how you pronounce his name but um and they pair him with some rjp ryan and cut joe mix and i think It'd be a bit of a mad move. You're, very... you're saying that they're going to draft a running back in the first round? I, I think it's a bold prediction. I think if he's there, they might look at that offence and the youth it's got with Joe Burrow, Robinson, Higgins, Chase, and just think for one year, that's about as good as it gets. Fresh, young, sexy running back. The fans love it. The marketing loves it. Um, you save a bit of money on cutting Mixon. He's been in trouble with the law, so maybe you think... Allegedly. Yourself, allegedly, absolutely allegedly. <laughs> just in case, uh, um, just in case uh, lawyers are listening, which they're not, but anyway. Yeah, allegedly. Um, but I just think it might be a sexy move that the Bengals might like. You pair him with Joe Burrow for a couple of years and, you know, you go bit off the cuff I, I just think with a draft you could go you could go get a tackle in round two or something but I just think he'd give you impact there and now and it, it might not be the most sustainable move but if you talk about winning now I just think he'd probably make the most impact in year one you know it's all well and good 
drafting for the future. And I don't know if it's just the sort of um, I've been a couple bit worn out with these project tackles at the yeah, Bengals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And none have really ever come on. And I know Jackson Carmen had a half decent game at the end of last year. But for someone drafted it towards the start of, you know, round two, you know, it's it's not the most encouraging thing in the world. So, yeah, I, I think that's an area where they, they potentially might look at. And I, I know it sounds really silly and I know it doesn't in no way, shape or form does this go into the decision making process. But from a marketing perspective, having sexy, best running back in the draft, young guy, 220 pounds, pair him with a cheap option in Smart JP, Ryan, you upgrade the position. It would be exciting and I, and I think they'd be better for it as well uh, my third bold statement is the Bengals will re-sign the wrong linebacker Ooh. now then I'm a Joe big Batch. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan everything points to Pratt leaving and ADG taking his place um uh I think the word is from the journalists and Lou himself is that he's proved himself and he's he's earned his chance. I don't think you can argue against that. I still contend that uh, Akeem Davis Gaither is a different sort of player to um, Jermaine Pratt. So I will be interested to see how he goes if that is indeed the plan going forward. I just think Pratt's got better and better each year. I thought he was tremendous last year. Uh, as much as I love Logan Wilson, I thought another a bold statement within a bold statement. How about this? I thought he performed better than uh, slightly better than Logan Wilson last year, and I wonder whether they're going to re-sign uh, the right linebacker. It's a tricky question because both work so well together, and there's not a, there's not much between them actually. Um, but, you know, the NFL is what it is. You can't keep everyone. Someone's got to go. I think it's pretty obvious uh, that it's going to be Pratt, who's gone all a bit Darius Phillips on his Twitter feed, I must say. Uh, did, he, did he Jermaine? Maybe we should play that in the future. Um, yeah. And I've got one extra bold statement, if, if you'll allow me, before we get to I'm Emily Parker. Enjoying this. Um, Jackson Carmen will be the starting right tackle on, wow. in week one. That's not what I want. <laughs> I know. I can see but. listeners just throwing themselves out of the window. I just, I think they will draft uh, a tackle, and they've been looking at a few tackles at the combine. I and that you know tackles have been mocked to the Bengals at the back end of that first round. I wouldn't be against that at all, especially when you consider that Jonah Williams is is that this could well be his last year as a Bengal, so they need a plan going forward as well as some cover for Leo Collins. Uh, I don't think Leo Collins uh, will be back for week one. It's a big ass. You looked at what happened to Trey Hopkins after his ACL. It took him three, four, five games, almost half a season to get back to anything like the form that he played uh, the, the year before. I'm not saying that's going to take as long for Leo Collins, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if... He's not going to be ready for week one. Uh, I kind of hope he is, but, uh, you know, um, I, as I say, I think Carmen will be right tackle at week one. How about that? 
Interesting. I mean, I, I really hope they go out and get a tackle in free agency, a veteran, bring him in, you know, add a bit of depth to that. It, 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 regardless of whether you improved the position last year, and they did, it still was one of the main reasons that we fell flat at the end of the year. And there's always going to be injuries at the position. And I, I, the depth is just not good enough. You know, and you talk about um, the injury to Lyle Collins and whether or not he'll be back in time. But you just can't leave that position to chance. We can't be gambling on, oh, if this rookie steps up or if this young player with a troubled history steps up. I I just want a bit more certainty there. I want someone who's, you know, started throughout the league. Maybe not someone, you don't even need someone that's a pro bowler or someone that's even close to that. You just need some geezer that, you know, comes in and gets 65 on PFF every week or something that just does a bit of a job. Like Joe Burrow, we, you know, he's good enough. You've got talent around him that's good enough. You don't need the line to be anything special. But I do think you need players that have started in this league and that have proven commodities to come in that we, you're not gambling as much on. You know, I I, I I, just think the thought of Jackson Carmen starting week one, no matter how good he is in Camp Nagisa, you know, he's not done it before. He's, he's, you know, he's protecting Joe Burrow on the edge. And you're going into a season saying, this is the biggest off-season ever. This is our biggest chance of winning the Super Bowl ever, which it is. And you, you're leaving that down to chart, even though year after year after year, it was a problem with Andy Dalton, um, just because they hadn't drafted well and they haven't got the right talent in. I just think yeah, in this situation, it's a tricky position. It's not one that, you, you know, necessarily rookies can come in and just play at that level. I just think, you know, there's been tons of people banging on about that geezer from Las Vegas, Jermaine Elamunua. <laughs> I can't that. Yeah, I know. What you mean, I, I wouldn't be against that. And do you know what? I I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Everything depends on Leo Collins's uh, how he progresses and recovers, right? Um, yeah. But we'll see. I mean, Leo Collins might even get cut this off season. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, he didn't. I mean, yeah. even when the line was playing well, he did. He did pretty yeah. well in in uh, run blocking but his pass protection was a, left a lot to be desired so for me he didn't set the world on fire last year so yeah I mean that's a name that you can throw in there and kind of uh, as a potential cut candidate you know um, but hey, yeah I don't know the outs of the dead money in that situation yeah exactly. I'm not sure I'm not an expert on that but um Collins is you know on his way to being 32 this year yeah and He's on some decent money. Coming off an injury like that, like you said, he's not necessarily going to get any better, is he? Um, and if you're talking about, you know, what you don't know what he was like in the locker room, you don't know what the, the coaches thought of him, but it's a big injury to come back from. And if he's not going to be ready until week four, five, or whatever like that, he's on, like I said, decent whack. He's in his 30s. There will be question marks there. And you obviously don't know how his rehab's going, what his, um, you know, what his status is from that perspective but I would not be surprised at all if the Bengals felt like they got some decent free agency and if he was on the chopping block a lot of big decisions to be made uh, The it's all very murky at the moment but things will become clearer as the days and weeks go by and of course we will be back to discuss all the comings and goings but let's focus now on International Women's Day and uh, our special guest this week Cincinnati and now, as promised, uh, we're welcoming back uh, Bengals Director of Communications, Emily Parker, to the podcast. But obviously, uh, this is a very special episode, and we're hoping to delve a bit deeper into Emily's career path. Uh, she's obviously an inspirational figure to many, 
Um, so Emily, uh, welcome back to Cincinnati. Thanks for having me, Paul. Um, as I mentioned, it's International Women's Day and we do like to be as inclusive as possible. I think that's a really important part of our group. And it's really fascinating to, you know, we've known each other for a while now and I've, I, I've seen you firsthand in your environment and you are remarkable. Do you ever think that what a job I'm doing or did, did it become a bit? I, I can see you walk through tunnels with Zach and the players after big playoff games. You're on the sideline at Super Bowls and things like that. Do you ever do you ever get time to sit back and think, wow, I've I've achieved a hell of a lot here? You know, I grew up a Cincinnati Bengals fan, and so there is a surreal element to this job, just something that, you know, for so many years, I was a fan of the team, of the organization, of the players, and to now be on the inside, there is a surreal element to it that I probably don't take enough time to sit back and think about it, but from time to time, it does cross my mind just how exciting this job is and, um, you know, just excited to be part of this team and uh especially with how we're playing right now um i uh i know that uh, as fans don't we know what a what a brilliant fun ride it's been the past few years right i mean how you're a fan yourself so again you can appreciate that but just from a purely fan point of view what a sensational fun thrilling ride it's been and long may may that continue um have you managed to get we've had a couple of weeks off have you managed to have a couple of weeks off after a long season like the one that's just just finished? It is amazing that the NFL business is really a 365-day-a-year business, but I did have a little bit of downtime uh, these past couple of weeks, but this really kicks off the next stretch for us with the in Indianapolis into free agency, into draft prep, into all of a sudden the schedule release and the players are back and uh, – before you know it, it's uh, we're kicking off the season again. It goes by really fast. We shall be eyeing that schedule release very closely with fingers crossed yet again, as we do every year. Um, Emily, I wanted to talk to you a bit about your career path, if I may, because um, if we can turn on uh, some new uh, new fans and inspire some new fans, some new, specifically new female fans over here in the UK, that's, you know, that's great. That's what we're all about. So I'm interested in your own career path. How do, how did a Cincinnati Bengals fan, uh, a young Emily Parker, go from a, a fan to director of communications? That's that's uh, that's quite uh, an amazing journey that you've been on career wise. Yeah, so I went to Syracuse University for college. And at that point, my goal was to be a sports reporter. And so I was a broadcast journalism major. And after I graduated from Syracuse, I got a master's degree from Northwestern in broadcast journalism as well. And my first job out of college was at a TV station in Lafayette, Indiana, on the news side. So I did uh, fulfill my reporting career goals, but was more on the news side than the sports side. Um, it was when the Colts won the Super Bowl. I was in Indianapolis or in Lafayette when that happened. So I did get to cover some sports stories. But for the most part, I was a news reporter and just realized that, well, I learned so much and was grateful for that opportunity. It was time for me to kind of take my career on a different path. And so I moved to New York City and switched into public relations at that point, worked at a PR agency for three years, but just couldn't get that 
itch out of my system that I really wanted to work in sports. And so I got a graduate certificate from New York University, NYU, in, um, in, in sports business and took essentially five electives and networked like crazy. And through that opportunity, I was able to get uh, an internship with the Heisman Trophy Trust. So I was able to, to do some work for them on a freelance basis with their social media, their press releases, their journal um, that they put out around the, the time of the ceremony and got to work Heisman weekend, which was an amazing opportunity. And then I also was able to make some connections that got my foot in the door at Fox Sports. And so I worked at Fox Sports in their communications department for five years, uh, doing both the consumer side of things, promoting NFL and Fox, um, MLB, NASCAR, UFC. It was during the, the launch of Fox Sports 1. Um, and then also on the business side, I spent time working with their regional sports networks, their advertising business, their um you know, the digital side of things. And it was a, a great um, place to work. I loved living in New York. I loved working for Fox. Was not looking to leave, but there's about one opportunity that could come up that could get me to change my mind. And that one did. And so when the opportunity with the Bengals came up and um, and it was a former intern of mine that actually passed it along because I was not checking job boards. And as soon as she sent it to me, I was like, this seems like something that might be of interest. And so I applied for the job, went through the interview process, and um, I got the job, and I'm coming up on now, this will be my eighth season. It goes by fast, so I started in 2016, and uh, I've seen a lot during my time here, and excited to to keep it going. You mentioned, uh, oh, it's an amazing story. I love hearing people's career stories, and um, you mentioned that you had to network like crazy, and you had to take opportunities when you could, and uh, it, it, would that be the advice to any young woman uh, listening to this podcast? Any friends that might have young daughters looking to get into PR, perhaps specifically sports PR? I know the countries and territories are different, wildly different, and the opportunities, no doubt, as well. But the core principles of of getting your foot in the door, are they the same? Is that what you'd recommend to any young woman who, who'd be looking to get into that area? For sure. And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned over my career path, and it started while I was at NYU, is there are so many opportunities. Because when people say they want to work in sports, they so often think of the team or the league side of things, which, you know, on the team side, I can specifically vouch for how great it is to work for a team. But there are so many more opportunities. And that's what I learned when I was doing my internship with the Heisman Trophy and working in sports communications for a TV network that broadcasts it and brands have, you know, that are associated with sports and sponsorships to have opportunities and you can work on the agent side of things. And there's really just so many opportunities to work in sports. And by networking, you learn about those opportunities because when I first set down, you know, set out on this career path, some of these things weren't even top of mind that ended up being great opportunities for me to learn from people, to get experience, and to realize that there's really a lot of jobs out there that touch the sports world um, beyond working for just a, a team in a league. Mm, that's really interesting, isn't it? And if, you've got to start somewhere, right? So you might have the end goal of working for a pro team or whatever it might be, but there are lots of other opportunities that will teach you and, you know, kind of, uh, age your development along the way so uh, another question I've always been quite proud of the Bengals because it feels like um, 
quite a progressive organization in terms of gender balance, especially when you when we talk about front office, uh, where obviously Katie Blackburn is now a key member of the competition committee and uh, a really respected member of uh, of the owner's circle, I guess, if you want to call it that. And then you get the rise of the, the two daughters, Elizabeth and Caroline, and then you've got you. And there seems to be a um, a really visible, a strong visible female presence in the Bengals in key positions. How important is that for an organisation and how important is that for, again, visibility and uh, breaking down barriers of what a lot of people still think as a, a, a big macho male guy sport, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very important in our in our organization. And as you mentioned, it starts from the top. And I think Katie Blackburn has set the tone um, over many years of her career of being a female that is known for how smart she is, how she manages the salary cap, her relationships. And, you know, she's been rewarded with some high profile committee positions on league circles because they respect her voice so much. And uh, Caroline and Elizabeth Blackburn have stepped in over the past couple of years and they're bright and energetic and are great role models and leaders for the organization. And, and so I think that's where the core nucleus of this starts of um, supporting and promoting women. You know, I'm proud to, to have a visible role as one of currently two female uh, sports, you know, team PR communications leads in the league right now. Um, there's been three of us total. One is doing PR for Amazon at the moment, but uh, two of us are leading the the teams um, on the on the NFL side. And then there's other females in our organization in a lot of high profile positions. Our CFO, um, she's currently inching towards retirement, but she's been with the organization for many years, um, and that's a very high profile position for us, along with you know our director of community relations and engagement, and so. Um, we have a lot of females throughout the organization that that do a great job and, and are very important to us. Mm, it's really interesting. I say it just make you proud, even prouder to be a Bengals fan when you see all these fantastic women in, in key positions and do. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. I think, you know, the work that you've done and the work that Kate has done and then now Caroline and Elizabeth it's completely transformed the club. It really has. And uh, and that's evident, I think. Um, you can see that in with fans as well. Um, just to tie this up, uh, Emily, um, again, another fantastic season last year. Um, you mentioned you're in, uh, and audio listeners, Emily is talking to me from her hotel room in Indianapolis. So it is, it is, uh, it is uh, back on the hamster wheel, isn't it? Just when you, when, when we thought you might get a bit more of a break, but Describe to us what happens with you now, because a lot of new players are going to be coming into the club very, very soon. Free agency, the draft, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is that a, an exciting time for you? What 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 challenges does this time of the year present to you as a person who who likes to tell the players' stories on a national global stage? Um how how what kind of challenges does this time of year bring for you? Yeah, it's both challenging and exciting. You know, it's it's fun to to see how this roster takes shape. 
you know, with that, you know, there is some turnover of the roster and as a person who gets to know the players on a personal level, you know, that's, that's always a challenge to, to sometimes see them move on to other teams, but it's part of the game. And, you know, we're constantly trying to maximize our roster to, to continue to compete at a high level. And so, you know, that, that starts with right now at the combine scouting, the next prospects that will be um, on our draft board. And then, you know, free agency starts. I'm excited to see which players we resign along with bringing in some new faces. And so, um, you know, it's all part of the process and you get to know players over the years and, um, and it's fun to root for them. It's fun to get to know their stories, tell their stories. They each come, you know, with different backgrounds and, uh, different hometowns and different interests. And so, that's all part of, you know, the process that we'll go through as we're introducing them to fans and, and really learning about them. And it's a, it's an exciting part of my job. I was going to ask, um, in your position and your team's position, PJ and Kyle there, um, you must get close to these guys, right? Because you're spending so much time with them and, you know, you're traveling on planes with them and you're hanging out with them. You're experiencing everything they do. Uh, during the games as you're on the sideline um it, you you must get close there is personal relationships that develop and friendships right yeah and they're they're guys that like you know well I have a working relationship with them they're also guys that while I'm watching the game I'm rooting for and I think you know the the thing about our locker room right now and Zach has done such a great job of building the culture in the locker room is they're great guys. They are professionals. They're um, personable. They're they've got great stories. They understand the importance of doing media, and so that makes my job easy. It makes it you know fun, um, especially you know over these past couple of years is now we're able to capitalize on some national media excitement around the team in addition to the local media, and so that's part of what we'll do. At the combine is, you know, Duke and Zach will meet with, you know, obviously the local media who's here and is a core part of our our fan base. But, you know, trying to spread the excitement around this team when you have stars like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase to really get fans beyond Cincinnati. And that's a big importance for us. And so the all of the fans over at Bengals UK, like we love and recognize the fan support from not only across our country, but across the world. And you guys have done a great job of really getting that interest and that fan base going. Cause I know we've been over to London twice. I know you wish it would be a few more times, but we can really feel it every time we go over there, just the support that you guys have built in that community. Well, we're coming over to you now as well. Don't forget that. Um, there's talk of more trips over to Cincinnati after last year's successful one. I was going to ask you, you mentioned something there that's really interesting. Um, how has your job changed as the profile of the team has got higher and higher? Uh, has it become more stressful or more challenging or more fun? Because you are, it's almost like a vindication of these, like you say, fans pick up on how personable and how fun and how how much you can root for these guys in the locker room because they just seem so much, there's so much like a brotherhood in there. Um but as as the profile has increased of this team, and now we've got players like Burrow and Chase and Higgins, etc., um, how how has that altered your um, um, role, if 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 at all? I don't know. Yeah, I mean the the requests that we get in, um, it's really amazing, and they're 
they're different too, is what I would say, you know, almost every other day, I feel like I get a request for Joe Burrow or Jamar that, you know, is like, wow, this is a different type of request than I've ever had because they've reached a little bit of a celebrityism to them that goes beyond the sports world. So, you know, obviously I'm used to the um, regular sports requests and, you know, those now have come more from the national media, the Peter Kings of the world, the Albert Breers, all of that. But we also get a mix of things where they want, you know, they're pitching Joe to do a TV show or to do, you know. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) What is the weirdest request that you've ever had? You don't need to name the organization, obviously. Um, I wouldn't ask you to do that. But what's the strangest request um, that you've ever had for either of those guys? I'm not sure that there's any strange ones. They're just, they're, they're just bigger. And, you know, you've got people that are just pitching you. And I mean, last year, you know, we saw with, you know, uh, when Jamar Chase did the GQ profile and um, the fun photo shoot that came with that. And, you know, when Burrow was on the cover of the Sports Illustrated season preview, like those are high profile media Mm. opportunities that, Mm. you know, are coming our way now. And they're, they're great because, um, they reach a broader audience and these guys are fun to root for and they've got good personalities to go along with their football skills. And so finding the right opportunities is one of the biggest focuses that we have, because obviously we get so many requests that there's just Mm. no way that we can do them all. And so we work really closely with the players to understand what their priorities are you know, with Joe specifically, he has a, a marketing rep that I work really closely with that we kind of go back and forth on some of these opportunities before we approach Joe to see which ones make the most sense for, for him and the team mm. and the time. Because he's a brand now, right? He's a brand in himself. The Burrow, Joe Burrow is, you know, he's got a specific, I would imagine a specific, he seems quite discerning. He's not going to do everything. He's very, he seems quite specific in the stuff that he does do and want to do would that be fair to say yeah he's very thoughtful about everything and so Mm. you know joe is great to work with and it's so fun to 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 see how it translates both you know on the field as well as the way he manages his social media um and everything that comes with it and so you know we have from the day one of drafting him have always taken the stance of he's a football player first And so while we could have him do media every single day, 365 days out of the year, the first priority is making sure he has time to focus on football. And so as a result of that, we we probably are more selective with the media opportunities that we have him do. Um, But that's that's all because, you know, we want us to have a successful football team. and, And that's always what we keep. Um, top of mind as we're considering every single thing with all of the players, but but primarily with Joe as well. So no Saturday Night Live for Joe Burrow just yet then. Um, <laughs> maybe that's in the future. Um, Emily, listen, um, thank you so much for the time. Uh, just one last question. If you were to give any piece of advice to any young woman looking to get into PR, doesn't have to be sports because I think well, having worked in PR myself, these are translatable skills throughout the industry there. What would you, what would you give? What would the piece of advice give? Well, I think the the biggest change or shift that I've seen over the course of my career in PR is how many opportunities there are to reach um, consumers, fans, 
you know, the public, however you want to look at the audience, um, because there's it goes beyond traditional media. And so while traditional media is still a big focus and, uh, you know, a core group that we work with, you have to understand that there's podcasts like yours, there's people that have huge social media followings, there's, you know, the influence influencer crowd. Um, there's obviously TV shows, there's people who have YouTube channels now, and just always kind of, you know, keeping a pulse on how people are getting their information, where they're consuming it, how you can reach them. And in sometimes your strategy has to shift a little bit to, to reach different populations versus, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, it may have been, you know, a high profile, um, article in a traditional news outlet that now you may need to do three things to reach that same audience size because the way that the media landscape um, works has changed but then there's also more opportunities that you know you can you can reach people than ever before and so just constantly learning and and having a pulse on how people are getting information is something that I try and and do and, and pay attention to. Great stuff, Emily. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, hopefully, we'll see each other again uh, in person uh, at some point in the season. If, uh, but for now, uh, good luck in Indianapolis, and uh, yeah, have a great start to the season. Great, thanks, Paul. Talk to you later. There we go. That was the brilliant Emily Parker, the director of community. What well, easy for me to say? Uh, director of cucumbers for the Cincinnati Bengals, and. Uh, lot of interesting stuff there about career path and what the opportunities out there are for young women. Uh, funny that they're getting like really top-notch requests for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we've just seen Travis Kelsey on Saturday Night Live. Who's to say that uh, Burrow and Chase won't be appearing on something like uh, a Saturday Night? Have you got? Have you got a? Uh, a TV program that you'd like to see Borrow and Chase guest on, Nathan? <laughs> oh, goodness me. The weakest um, link. No, uh, Pointless. Imagine them two yeah. as a team. It's not a funhouse. Do you remember Funhouse oh back God. in the day? Oh, my God. Funhouse. Bloody hell. Um, I don't know what else. Um, MasterChef. I think they'd be quite good on Celebrity MasterChef, don't you? Yeah, I, I got it. She took, me <laughs> yeah. off it. I, it took me off guard. Okay, well, have a think about that. Uh, well, so, yes, a huge thanks to Emily. And again, you know, it makes us even prouder to know that the likes of Emily, uh, Katie Blackburn, Elizabeth Blackburn, Caroline Blackburn, uh, Marissa Contepelli, an old friend of the podcast, Mina Creamer in the design team, you know, all those guys in content, all those fantastic women that work in the Bengals. Uh, ranging from the front office down um, into the content team. Uh, it's it's fantastic to know that there's a good gender balance there in the team that we support and love. So once again, thanks to Emily. Right, let's quickly, it's a bit of a bumper one this, uh, this year. Why not? It's our first one back after a while. We've got a lot to say, and so have you. We're going to go to our correspondence. Solid handle. Uh, Andy Colina at Colina UK. Um... He thinks that they should go all the way in on an A-plus offensive lineman for Joey B. Free agent, tackle and guard and draft two guys. Get a big blocking tight end. Carmen, Volson, Jonah, Akeem should, not be ba- should all be backups. 
anyone can be a running back with a great offensive line. Andy wants it all on that offensive line. Blimey. Wow. Rob Hill, surely this season... Can I, is it a solid handle yet or a shocking handle? I think, I think, we, I think we can give him a, sh- a solid handle because it is more or less a new season, I think. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. You're not convinced. Um, running backs. Rejig Mixon's contract. Let P. Ryan go. Draft a running back somewhere. In the draft, take a best player available, first two picks, unless it's a quarterback. And back to the draft, pick a quarterback latish. Yeah, do you know what? Do you know what? I have been thinking about that because I do think Brandon Allen is probably not where you'd want him to be versus the rest of the backup quarterbacks around the league. And I know it might feel like a bit of a wasted pick because, again, it's like as much as he might not be up to standard, do you really want to waste a third or a fourth or even a fifth-round pick on a backup quarterback and then he's got to beat Brandon Allen out, you know, and you're never planning on really ever using him, hopefully. So, Mm. no, but it is a good point because you do have to question, we see a lot of Brandon Allen and, don't know, it's it's, it's a good point though. Uh, Free agency, Rob says, bring Vaughn and Hurst back, pick up more backup linemen and the coaches celebrate that they're all back, absolutely. That's a very good point. Last line of defence at Kieran underscore Balmer. Um, we need more than one tight end. So is it Hurst or Hooper in free agency? And to what extent uh, what extent does that decision influence which tight end they sub- subsequently draft? Is there any value in signing Pochic uh, in free agency, moving Karras to left guard and having Volson back up at left guard and right guard? Which cornerbacks are late-round sleepers? Oh, there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, of course, free agency absolutely uh, influences the draft. And certainly with the Bengals, they do like to fill holes in free agency. So, as I say, my my contention is this year that those holes will be filled by people already, well, not on this roster, but were on this roster last year. They're going to be resigning their own. Um, there may be one or two other free agencies, but uh, free agents, but we'll see. Um, <clears throat> not sure they're going to sign Pochic. I think they're fairly set on Volson and Karras in that middle. And we'll get to cornerbacks, uh, Kieran, in the next couple of weeks when we start to really delve into the draft. Um, Megavata at Megavata B. Shocking handle. Cut Mixon and draft a running back. Resign P. Ryan and use the Mixon salary to strengthen the offensive line in free agency. Draft-wise, yeah. draft I really like the look of Sam Laporta at tight end. Who doesn't? Frequently mocked to the Bengals, Big Sam. Uh, it looks like an athletic uh, pass-catching tight end. You know, it's uh, Bob Trump's birthday today, so happy birthday to Bob, our old friend and uh, former tight end, uh, the original Bengal, the, the guy that caught the first-ever Bengals touchdown pass all those years ago. Uh, looking at because uh, there's been a bit of video footage online today, just celebrating, helping to celebrate his birthday, and Laporta and Trumpy look a little bit similar, I have to say. But anyway, Jamie at Trequart Beaster, I want us specifically to use a day three pick on obtaining a contract cheap backup quarterback, specifically Stetson Bennett. Now we will be playing the name game uh, at some point in the near future a draft special i've uh, seen some outrageous ones already oh me too yeah, i'm actually really looking forward to playing the game actually but there we go um yeah that backs up there's another person who wants a backup quarterback 
And Andrew Docker at Docker seventy seven says, "Bring back Bobby Hart." <laughs> anyway, uh, and and I must say, Docker's has got lots of fantastic mock drafts up on our blog, uh, BengalsUK.wordpress.com. Uh, Go and check them out. Uh, there's a post senior bowl one. There's a post combine one. Uh, lots more coming up from Andrew. We've got our own British draft panel coming up in a few weeks' time. And we'll have other guests discussing the drafts. But, uh, yes, um, that's uh, the end of our International Women's Day podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's good to be back, uh, isn't it, Nathan? Absolutely, yeah. Like I said, next week is going to be absolute chaos, isn't it? So strap yourself in, get your eyes on Twitter, and watch out for the fakes as well. I always quite enjoy that when it's like a I know, Adam right, yeah. Ash or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adam Shef- yeah. Adam Schefter spelled C H E F T E R. Yeah, let the mayhem commence. Temper your expectations, I would say, uh, and be patient because um, uh, maybe they do have some targets lined up straight out the blocks. I'd be surprised they did, but we'll see. Check us out on uh, Twitter at Whoday underscore UK. Uh, Bengals UK on Facebook, Bengals underscore UK on Instagram. We will be back next week. Um, well, and uh, what can I say? Until then, it's a who day from me. And a who day from me. Cheers, guys.
And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.